don't know about you, but I've been watching the Olympics. Has anyone been watching the Olympics? All right, that's what statistics are showing us. Yeah, that nobody's watching it this year. So, whatever. Those of us who are watching it, right? We get to celebrate with these athletes. My favorite moment so far in the Olympics was, I think it was Friday night, a 40-year-old man won a gold medal. How about that, huh? I was inspired. And then I was reminded that I'm 40 right now and haven't trained yet. But that's okay. I was still inspired. These uh, athletes are going to come home. They're going to be on Wheaties boxes. They're going to be on newspapers and magazine covers and celebrated and interviewed as they should be. They have sacrificed so much. They've given us a great example of what it looks like to live a focused life, finish the race, complete the course. Our culture has a way, though, of celebrating people that maybe don't need to be celebrated, right? We've got celebrities and musicians and artists and actors. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to celebrate God first and foremost. But we're going to give you an example this morning of someone who has lived, uh, John and Linda, who have lived their lives focused on serving God. You're going to hear extraordinary stories this morning. And they're John and Linda's stories. And the same God that they serve is the same God that you and I serve. You're going to hear stories of how they invested 39 years. Some of you have invested 39 years in the hopes of people becoming Christians as well. We want you to be inspired this morning by John and Linda's story so that you can go out from here today and live your story. And we both, we all serve the same God who is faithful and good in the midst of all these different trials. 39 years ago, John and Lindo got on the, they pulled a couple of mules. They went to an unreached people group in Mexico that had no written language. They're going to tell some of those stories. I won't tell them now. Let's just fast forward so I can tell you the, the, not the end of the story, but where the story is at today. Where the story is today is that people group has 90% of the New Testament translated into their language. As John and Linda invested eight years there and helped create an alphabet in a language that is still in existence today. And they taught and were involved in teaching literacy and all kinds of other things. After those eight years in that tribe, they went on and, and were invested in other tribes so that they could be reached with the good news of Jesus as well. Now that tribe that they went to all those years ago is sending out missionaries. They're being trained at Bible schools that John and Linda helped start. And now that people group that 39 years ago didn't know about Jesus, didn't have a language that a Bible could be written in, they are now sending out missionaries to other places around the world. Because we serve such a good God who is faithful, faithful, faithful. And so I want to bring John up on the stage and let him share about how good God has been to them uh, over these years. So thank you, John, so much. Give John a round of applause. Yes, thank you. Thank you, brother. Let's see that stuff on the screen. <laughs> well, I can start until that comes on. <clears throat> you don't have it either. What's going to say is going to say thank you, I think. Technology is great when it works. It's not so great when it doesn't. There we go. Just one quick story before I pray and start. We were in a church in Sunbury, Pennsylvania, and we were going to show a PowerPoint that was actually without us. We sat in the pews also and watched it with you, and the audio didn't work. We struggled and struggled to get the audio on, and one of the techie guys said, is there a 12-year-old? in the audience and seriously a 13 year old stepped up and fixed it and we went on with the program technology is great when it works what we would really like to do this morning we want to elevate our Lord we know that this is not about us but we want to say thank you to you as a, an assembly as a local church a church that many many years ago decided to take us on as missionaries, support us in prayer, support us physically in many ways, and also then uh, financially. And we want to say thank you. And let me read Romans 10, 14 through 15. And I'm supposed to go like this because I, I don't have a clicker to advance this stuff. So. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard 
And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I said earlier in this service, I'm not sure how beautiful our physical feet are at this point. But we are those who have been sent. And so are you. And we just want to say thank you to you who helped to send us out into a lost and dying world. I want to make a comment here before I do pray. I have done, Pastor Matt does back-to-back services every Sunday. I'm amazed at how different my second time around the second message is than the first one. So get ready. You'll probably get a totally different message than the first group did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to commit this time to you. We love you, Lord. You've done amazing things in us and through us. And we want to elevate your name and you in this process. You are the one who devised this plan of salvation that incorporated us, invited us, and just gave us a chance to choose you. And we want to be those who choose you every day of our lives, that we walk by faith in this process, thereby pleasing you. We want to pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are supported by six churches, all in Pennsylvania. I ask the Lord to give us all of our churches in Pennsylvania. We have numerous missionary friends who, on any kind of home assignment, excuse me, on any kind of home assignment or furlough, if you want to call it that, travel the whole country in trying to touch base with their supporting churches. Well, I asked the Lord for our churches to be all in kind of one location, and he did it on our behalf. We're all in Pennsylvania, and so you guys might, yeah, you guys are actually the, the farthest one, furthest one from us in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. I am a humble carpenter from Williamsport, Pennsylvania, graduated from South Williamsport High School, and to have the Lord have us be fluent in three languages, English, Spanish, and Guadalajara is an amazing thought. My English teachers from high school would be absolutely amazed. I wasn't overly thrilled with academics when I was in high school. That was a different story when when I went to Bible school because I cared. But uh, my English teachers would be kind of amazed. And there you guys are in the bottom of the middle thing. And I said earlier that someone changed the colors on me and painted the building. But uh, we're just thrilled to have you as part of our supporting group. What has the Lord accomplished through this partnership that is ours? I, I want to say to you that, that what we actually do, we as a frontline missionary in a tribal location or on a, in a foreign country, are partnered with you guys. We wouldn't be there if we weren't sent out by you. We wouldn't actually be able to stay if we weren't supported to be there. It would be extremely difficult. And you made it very possible for us to be a part of that. And the Lord has used us all, or given us all, specific gifts and ways in which we can work with these folks. Um, I, with my carpenter's background, with my construction background, different things that the Lord has done in our lives on top of our spiritual gifts. <clears throat> Loving people. My wife is one of the best people I know at putting her arm around someone who you might actually consider in the situation a little unloving, unlovely. That picture is a great picture. The colors are wonderful, all of that. And that lady is a sweet old lady. But the truth of the matter is, you don't know how long it's been since she bathed before Linda put that arm around her. And I can remember being with tribal folks. They always smell of body odor and smoke. Their kitchens are just wood fires, So they're covered in smoke, and it's been a long time, oftentimes, since they've actually bathed. They're living in situations, especially the situation we lived in, um, where bathing was go to the creek, generally half-clothed, never fully naked, half-clothed, and get in the creek and bathe. In the wintertime, at the altitudes in which we lived, um, wintertime was not an easy time to go bathe in the creek. When we first moved into the tribe, I was out there alone building a house. 
And I can remember in October thinking, oh man, I gotta go bathe. It's freezing cold out there and the cold and the water's cold. So she has been great at really just putting her arm around folks and loving folks. Little kids. She made the blanket. She took the photos and had them, had them developed and was giving out photos of family and, and kids. You can move on, the, on, that's fine. How about working with our hands? I mentioned that um, I'm a carpenter and there are, few, there are a few houses in the tribes, along with our own house, that I didn't have a part in designing or helping to design and helping to work on. I mentioned earlier that as as the years crept on and I get toward 70, which I am 70 now, I tried to to avoid the concrete pours, but I wasn't able to do that completely. This was our house in the tribe. You can stay there. Go ahead, one more. This was our house in the tribe. We lived in a location with no roads, and because of that, there was very little uh, building material available to us. The stack of lumber that you see there is rough sawn boards from a sawmill 12 miles from our house. And I mentioned that, or it has been mentioned, that we had to get everything in through burrows and mules. And so I dragged all that lumber with a tribal guy and a remuda of, of 10 burrows and mules 12 miles. And the first five miles of it or six miles of it was just perfectly fine. It was kind of level and out this road. When the road ends, it drops into the valley that we live in. And so now we're going down from 5,500 feet to 3,500 feet, 2,000 feet of drop in elevation and all these switchbacks. And so a mule with 16 feet of lumber dragging behind him can't turn a corner. He hits it and there's no way. So you have to grab each piece of lumber that he's hauling, swing it around. There's 10 of them, remember now, and he's headed for the next switchback, and you're taking the next burrow and switching them around, switching them around, switching them around. The next one has gotten down there, and he's trying to make the corner, and you're running down to get him started too. 6,000 board feet of lumber we dragged that way for the two houses that we built. But God uses us in the specific ways in which he has gifted us and trained us. Linda, many hours in the kitchen serving with her skills. Linda's a great cook. I actually should be quite a bit heavier than this. I don't just, God gave me a good metabolism and I'm an avid exerciser. But, um, she is really good in the kitchen. She, few days went by in the tribe where someone wasn't eating with us. Some tribal folk who dropped by and, you know, maybe walked five hours to get to us to try to find medicine and needed food. She always had a pot of beans on, tortillas made, and was ready to feed them. And and then one of the things that we did after we left the tribe, we were eight years in the tribal group, and then we were asked to join a leadership team. I'll, I'll mention this a little bit later. <clears throat> one of the things that we did was dental clinics where we would extract teeth, repair teeth, um, and she would cook for us consistently in the dental clinics. We did at least two a year in different tribal groups, building relationships with the tribal folks. Because of our remote location, it was necessary to do a lot of medical work. And one of the things that I learned to do was extracting teeth. And I mentioned earlier that I've extracted literally thousands of teeth, and I'm not exaggerating with that, especially over 38 years of, of doing that. When we lived in that remote location, people would come to us with abscessed teeth, infections, and we would give them antibiotics, put them on a course of antibiotics, abscess would go away, but not on being unable to actually extract the problem tooth, uh, infection would come back, we'd be back in the same place. So we invited a dentist from here in Pennsylvania to come and train us in the process. And he brought all the equipment for doing just extractions. Now when we do dental clinics, we do everything from proper colored resins um, to the extractions of teeth that that don't serve anymore. I mentioned earlier too that um, 
I don't think I'd make a good pediatric dentist. You can see I've not made a great impression on that little gal. These are things that the Lord uses for the ultimate purpose for which we go in the first place. And that ultimate purpose is to plant churches. A church planted among the Guadalajara with whom we worked was our ultimate purpose. We weren't there to extract teeth. We weren't there just to put our arms around people. We weren't there to help them with other aspects of their lives, which we actually enjoyed doing. We enjoyed living even where we lived. And where we lived was, when I say remote, I mean remote. We had no roads, no stores. I mean no stores. You couldn't buy a Coca-Cola. And so Linda would prepare lists of our buying when we were in Chihuahua City, where our base is, and or El Paso, Texas, where we did some of our buying back then. Back then, years ago, a lot of product was not available in Mexico. And so we would have to do some of our buying in El Paso, Texas. But we would buy for five or six months at a time. If you struggle, ladies, to buy for one week to take your stuff home, and which we do now. I run off to the store all the time when she needs something. But Linda was preparing for five to six months at a time with no way to buy anything in between. We had a store. I'm hesitant to even say it was a store, but a store 12 miles from us where we could buy flour and sugar. I can't remember what else. Lard. And chilies, <laughs> as in chili peppers. Um, and But that was a 12-mile trip from our house. Now I'm talking either on foot or on a mule, taking a burrow with me to load up a 100-pound sack of flour or a 100-pound sack of sugar and bring it back to the house. And I would buy 100 pounds because I didn't want to make a 24-mile round trip every other week trying to bring stuff home for us to eat and live on. But the desire was to plant a church among the Guadalajara. There is the church among the Guadalajara. This is many years after our initial time in the tribe. But we saw believers in those first years. We were actually six years in the tribe before we started teaching because the languages are that difficult. But this is what God has done. And this is what you guys have actually been a part of. This is the Wadihu Church that exists right now, we mentioned, Matt already mentioned that 90% of the New Testament is translated, and it's not actually in a printed form in light of a a hardcover Bible. It is in a printed form, a little more informal, that the Wadihu pastor is actually teaching with. But for us, this is a thrilling process. When we see and know all that has gone in to this process. And I'd, I'd like to tell a story that I didn't tell earlier. Something that I mentioned. As I was sitting there, the Lord brought it to mind. And our first two believers were Pancho and Maggie Zapata. And they became very good friends of ours in the tribe before their salvation. They lost all their kids to numerous things. Their kids in infant mortality was a big deal in the tribe before we arrived. We saw a lot of drop in the infant mortality rate just because of things that we were able to do medically. Um, Dehydration was a major killer among the tribe with very young children. Anyway, Pancho and Maggie lost their children. We took in our daughter, our youngest daughter, at eight weeks of age. And so they adopted little Julia. And they just loved being around Julia and us too, and they would come every other night to our house and stay late into the night, which was super unusual, very uncultural for the Guadalajara. The Guadalajara, when it got dark, they were afraid of the dark, they were afraid of a lot of things, and they would want to be at home when it got dark, but not Pancho and Maggie, and that was a God thing. Well, to try to move this quickly forward, there's a lot of story in between, but I had this mule that always ran away. And when it ran away, it ran away 60 miles away from our home. And I'm talking now on foot or on a mule to go get it and bring it back. I did it two times, and then it was like, okay, that's enough of that. I'm selling this mule. So I sold it to Pancho. Pancho was actually able to keep it from running away. I don't know how he did it, and I couldn't. But anyway, one night, he's passing our house on the trail in front of our house. The trail in front of our house was the main trail from a lot of the villages. And we hear this argument that's going on. And they'd been drinking some. 
And they go by, and I don't know, maybe 10, 15 minutes later, Pancho's brother, Jesus, comes by and says, you need to come help, you need to come help. Pancho has been shot, and the guy is threatening to finish the job by shooting him in the head. And I'm thinking, whoa, time out, time out. Um, I'm not a real fearful person, but I thought, I'm going to go talk a drunk out of shooting someone in the head. I don't think that's a wise move. Well, we did it anyway, knowing that it was the right thing to do. My partner and I went down in the dark, and the guy, fortunately, was gone. He, whether the Lord took him away, I have no idea, but the guy that, that shot Pancho was gone. Pancho had dragged himself, actually through cow manure, had dragged himself under a bush and was hiding, and we're actually calling out, Pancho, Pancho, where are you? <clears throat> and this is pitch black dark. And here, that bullet entered Pancho right there, traveled and was in, in his spinal cord, was in, inside the spinal column, in his spinal cord. So from there down, he's paralyzed for life. I'm telling this story just to tell you about the inception of the Wadihil Church. This guy became a captive audience, literally. We had him flown out. We carried him on a litter. The three hours and 3,000 feet in elevation change between where we live and the airstrip. We carried him on a litter out to the airstrip, had him flown to the city, and he went through surgeries. They removed the bullet from his spinal column, but he never walked again. And finally, he was, he was actually taught from, from creation to Christ in Spanish. But he's a guadajillo now, and he did not get it in Spanish. We get him back, we're now ready to teach, and we teach him from creation to Christ in Guadalajara. And I remember, <clears throat> Linda says she doesn't cry pretty, me neither. I remember when we finished with Christ, with creation to Christ, and we finished presenting the gospel, the death, the burial, and the glorious resurrection of our Lord. And Pancho said, we ask him, Lord, or Pancho, what do you, what do you think? What do you, you know, do you believe? And he, and he said, Pichiwarihu maenane. He said, it's true what you're presenting, I believe. That was the inception of the Guadalajara Church. I didn't express this in the earlier service. I wish I really had thought of it. But it was the culmination of six years of language and culture study, of ten years of training before we actually got there. And it was worth it all. And you guys were a partnered part of that. You sent us out. How will they hear if someone isn't sent? And we went to lift up, to elevate our Savior and our God with a gospel that is incredibly good news to us and to them. We ministered eight years among the Guadalajara. After that time, we were asked to by the leadership of Mexico. You're just fine. You can stay there. We were asked to join the leadership team, and that was a struggle for us. Remember, we'd, we'd spent years learning the language and the culture, and it was kind of like, oh, whoa, we just have believers. We had more believers than just Pancho and Maggie at that time, and it was the start of the church, and, and we actually felt like the Lord was moving us out. And so we joined... We joined the leadership team at that time. The leadership time had asked us, they said, okay, we want you to join our leadership team and be a part of the leadership team, but we have a job for you to do. We have an express purpose for you. We want you, as soon as you adjust to, to working with the leadership team, we want you to move south in Mexico, another 650 miles from El Paso, Texas, in the state of Durango, and open up that region for us. Investigate the tribal areas, do survey among the tribes, uh, build a relationship with the government in the state of Durango, with immigration, just a number of things that were a part of spearheading a, a different work for New Tribes Mission. And so we really ended up feeling like we prayed for three months. We just didn't really see us out leaving the tribe. We prayed for three months, and we, f we felt the Lord was moving us out, and we did that. For the next 31 years, then, we were in leadership, the last four years as the field chairman and wife. And the Lord used us in so many neat ways in being a part of other tribal works. 
Here Linda is actually speaking to, just sharing a testimony with a Tarahumara group. They're a dialect of, of, of Guarijio, or Guarijio is a dialect of Tarahumara. This is a very large group, 60,000 Tarahumara. The Guarijio, the upper Guarijio, the dialect that we spoke, is only a 1,000 strong. There's a lower dialect that is another 1,000, so there are 2,000 Guarijio at the most. There are many larger tribal groups in Mexico. And the Nahuatl, who are original Aztecs, they're a million three hundred thousand strong. Um, the Tzeltal, with whom we're opening a work right now, right at this time a work is opening among the Tzeltales. A Guadalajara gal, one of our Guadalajara missionaries, married a Tzeltal guy in the Bible Institute training. Met, they met in the Bible Institute training, and after that they married. They're six hundred thousand strong. So there are many, many tribal folks that are still unreached in Mexico. There are fifty-four tribal languages in Mexico. 250 plus dialects of those language groups. There are 30 dialects of Nahuatl alone, and we work with the northernmost one. Linda will be telling you about the church that is planted there by our group. We have two Bible institutes that we've established during our time in leadership, one in Mexico City, one in Chihuahua. I didn't mention before that Mexico City is one of the most target-rich areas in the world for missionaries. Mexico is really capturing a burden and a challenge with the, the gospel, with the, the good news that is what we have of the gospel, to be sharing it with a world beyond themselves. When we went to Mexico 39 years ago, they saw themselves as someone to be missionized, not someone to be missionaries. And that has drastically changed. And I say that Mexico is target rich. There are Thousands of evangelical churches in Mexico among the 25 million people that are a part of the metropolis of Mexico City. So we started a Bible Institute there and in Chihuahua City. This is the Bible Institute in Chihuahua City. We have Latin teachers and American teachers. It's all being done in, in Spanish. Um, and then the one in Mexico City is the same. When folks get through their Bible Institute training and they decide that they would like to be cross-cultural missionaries. We have a cross two-year cross-cultural mission course which teaches phonetics, how to write down every sound that the human vocal cords can make. Matt mentioned that uh, we moved into the Guadalajara. It was an unwritten language. And so we did have help in Spanish. There were enough bilinguals that we could work not monolingually, which in one language was much more difficult, but there was no alphabet even. We made up the alphabet in Guadijio, which is the alphabet that's being used to translate the Bible and being used today. That's a part of that two-year course on top of then New Testament church principles, how to present the gospel, all kinds of things onward. This is the, the Mission Institute. It's something that we've built outside of the city of Chihuahua, a little bit more rurally located because almost all of our tribal works are more than rural. They're remote. But what is it really like to plant a church in a remote location among an unreached tribal group? Let me mention some of the things. I just mentioned that Pancho, our first believer, was shot in the back. We've faced a lot of violence. Not we personally. I mean, we've both had Guns pointed at us, but I won't talk about that. Um, but we haven't faced much violence. We're not the target in Mexico as missionaries. What happens with the violence, cartel violence in Mexico, is that it's battles between cartels. They're fighting over territory. I don't know whether you realize that you may have heard these statistics, but a hundred million dollars a week passes back and forth or forth into Mexico with the drug trade. Most of it opiates at this point. But anyway, what's it actually like to work in a tribal area? To take a whole family to a place with no roads, no medical help, no place to buy the simple needs of life. I remember I said that our youngest daughter was eight weeks old when we took her into the tribe. Just think about that. Think about how often you visited your pediatrician. Well, there's no pediatrician when a tribal missionary takes his family into an area like this. This is our family. This is our family five years after we were in the tribe. You can see our youngest daughter. She was eight weeks old when we took her in. She's four or five there. Five, because it's 1988. And 
um, it's just a challenge, a challenge to your faith. How much do you believe the Lord when it comes to taking care of them? How about when the unexpected happens? How about when your children are coming on their school break? We put our two older kids in the dorm and school. They didn't actually live with us. They came back to visit every seven to eight weeks. And if you ask us when we're not standing here in the pulpit, that was one of the most difficult things that we did as missionaries. That was hard. The very first time or one of the first times that they flew into the tribe on a school break, that was the result of the landing. I had hiked from our, from our village, Linda stayed home. I hiked from our village to pick up the kids, took mules up, up. They were going to ride the mules back, burrows to haul in kind of an order that we had a standing order for fresh goods, fresh meat, things that we couldn't get in the tribe. And I'm stripping out of my backpack. I just arrived and the plane buzzes right by where it always stops. And here a disc brake had sheared all four bolts on the plane. And he couldn't stop it. And so he ended up in off the end of the airstrip. I'm, we're thankful to God it wasn't the other end of the airstrip. The other end of the airstrip is a cliff. I mean, a, a big one, a major one. And plane goes crashing in there, tore the motor off the cowl, ruptured a, a, a wing tank, so there's fuel going everywhere. And the kids get out, everybody gets away, nothing bursts into flames. And my son runs across the airstrip, and I get a hold of him, I'm hugging him, and I burst into tears. I just started to cry. It was just this emotional moment. I didn't see it coming. And my son pushes me away and says, what are you crying about? We crashed. And it broke the moment. It made me laugh and made me quit crying. It was a good thing. And uh, all that they really came away with, he came away with a scar on his forehead that makes a good conversational scar. How'd you get the scar? Well, I got in a plane crash. But I went through a turmoil with the Lord. Lord, we want to stay here. At that time, we thought for the rest of our lives and plant this church among the Wadikio. How am I going to go about putting my kids on that airplane, even to fly out of here, but to fly back in on every school break? You've got to be kidding. I don't think I can do this. Well, the Lord impressed me first with, I took care of your kids. Your kids are alive and well. They are just fine. Well, I heard that from the Lord, not audibly, but got that message from the Lord. And the very next time that the kids fly in, eight weeks later, the kids fly out, fly out to the city, not on that airplane, needless to say. They had to actually fix that airplane on site. They flew in equipment and, and fixed that airplane right where it is. <clears throat> the very next time the kids come in, my partner and I go to, to the airstrip and we went, we got up in the dark and hiked out, took burrows and mules. We get up there and no airplane. It doesn't show up. I mean, throughout the whole day, we got up there early, like nine o'clock in the morning and no airplane, no airplane, no airplane. Now it's afternoon. We're wondering what should we do? Should we head back to the house? No, it's a long hike. It's six hours round trip to hike in and back and back out. We have no way to communicate with the moms. So they don't know what's happened either with us or with the kids or with the airplane. And sometimes from our village, you can actually hear the airplane coming in and coming out, depending on the weather. But they don't know what's happened. We sat there through the night, talking to one another, leaning on a, on a rock wall, and the next morning it flies in. Pilot says, hey, the wind was too bad in Chihuahua City. We literally couldn't take off. But we didn't know that. Now I'm back in turmoil again. God, I just don't think I can do this. And he, again, impressed me with, <clears throat> am, am I able to do what I say I'm able to do when I say to you before, I took care of your kids. I can do this. Will you walk by faith with me? This is a little bit of an odd photo. But when we left the tribe eight years after we opened the tribal work, uh, we moved other missionaries in because the church plant was not finished. We hadn't done very much translation. There was, you know, very little that was actually done to plant what, it, what would be considered a thriving church among the Wadihio. So we moved other missionaries in. And there were different couples who formed part of that team. I've already mentioned the cartel issues that we had with the violence. And the Mexican military and the cartels would clash at times. Well, 
on one occasion, they clash literally right over our missionary's village. And they're firing, the, the Mexican military are firing 50 caliber machine guns, and bullets are hitting in our missionary's front yards. So we as a leadership team put our heads together with our security team and say, you know what, we really need to move our missionaries out for a little while. Just let's talk about giving a break here and then we'll find out when things calm down. The missionaries asked, instead of moving back to Chihuahua City, which is much more comfortable than where they moved, they moved to Guaymas on the coast of Mexico on the Gulf of California coast. It's in Sonora, the state of Sonora. And uh, they did it because there are Guadijillo there that have moved out of the tribe. And they could carry on with the translation and with lesson planning and even teaching. They move out, and very shortly after they get settled there, they get hit with a hurricane that flows off the Pacific. Generally, they don't make it across Baja, California. And this one did. And it hit there, and it dumped a ton of rain on them. That is just a picture of one of their closets. That is a picture of the water level in their house. That's seven feet, two inches off the floor. And that was not just this calm water that came up and, you know, they got to very calmly get out of there. It was flash flood, rushing water. They spent the night on the roofs of their houses. One guy's from Maryland, actually just south of here, um, from Maryland, doesn't swim and has four little girls at this time. And the other couple have two girls, and they're on their roof also. And I went over there to help them clean up. We dragged that pickup truck out of the mud with the vehicle that we took to go over there and help them clean up. They lost everything. Everything. The vehicles were gone. We dragged that out of there, but you couldn't start it because the motor was full of water. Everything. They lost all their translation stuff. They lost everything. And I personally have had very few times in my life when I've questioned the Lord. But I asked why. I wasn't in God's face. But I I was like, why, Lord? These couples have given their lives to serve you. And, And this is the end result. And I came away with this from the Lord. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways. When I consider how I logically think my way through life, things like this, I've got to fall back on the wisdom of God. I've got to fall back on His ways are totally different than mine. The things that you might be suffering right now, the things that we go through in life, in families, God's ways, His thoughts are so different than mine. I cannot try to logically think through what Christian life should look like. I've got to fall back on the wisdom of God. And that's literally what we had to do. Those families were actually spiritually doing well, super good. We were encouraged by them. Then James 1, 2, and 3 says this, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. We grow through the hard times. We all do. It's a part of life. If we didn't see the other side, the grace of God wouldn't even take on the aspects that it does, the beauty that it does. Remember Job, who had no idea why he was suffering. I'm actually teaching the book of Job right now in a men's group in a weekly Bible study. And one of the things that really sticks out to me is the constant comment of Job's friends, supposed friends. I'll put that in quotes. Because they're hitting him constantly throughout the middle chapters of Job with, it's your sin, Job. You are in sin, and it's why you're suffering. That was not what was going on. God was leading Job someplace else in his life. Job was an integrous man. He was a man of integrity. God's own testimony of Job to Satan was, have you considered my servant Job a man of integrity, a man who avoids evil? And then Satan says, yeah, well, you've got him, you've got him hedged about. You have him encircled. That should encourage us that our God is watching over us. Hebrews 1 says, aren't they all ministering spirits? 
who minister to those who will be heirs of salvation, if that's not a guardian angel thing, and that's talking about angels, our God is watching over us, and he had to actually release that care for Satan to be able to test Job. But my, my point is, the very things that Job was going through, he didn't know why. But in the end, when God says in King James, gird yourself up, take notice, Job, I have questions to ask you, and answer me if you can. God touts his wisdom, and Job comes away a different person. <clears throat> I'm not trying to paint a bleak picture of tribal missions, but rather elevate the power of God and maybe help you see some of the reality of life itself in a tribal location. Linda's going to talk about the fact that it's hard to live in some of these locations. Not just the fact that there's no way to buy anything like you know, once you're there, it's not like, okay, I don't have bacon for breakfast. I, you know, you can't go out and shoot somebody's pig and, and make bacon. It just doesn't work that way. So it's hard to live in some of these areas, but not just those were the things that weren't that really that hard. After a while, they were just commonplace. Living there was commonplace. Having to heat hot water for a shower by making a fire every morning. I don't do that in the mission house that our church has provided for us right now. But I want to elevate the power of God in his grace for our being able to live there and then in his grace for saving souls. I, after a short period of time among the Wadihio, I went to the Lord with, Lord, this is an impossible task. What you've brought us to here is just absolutely impossible. These people are animists and they... They see life through a worldview that is so totally different, so apart from your grace. But you know what? By his grace and through his spirit, he drew Guadalajara to himself. And there is a church planted there. There are missionaries out from the Guadalajara who've gone through our four-year training. There are three in our training right now in the Bible Institute, desirous of going out into this lost and dying world. And so that is a God thing. All that he's done to elevate his power. A baptismal service among the Wadihio. Um, Linda, was you were actually present for that one, right? You flew out. We flew a Wadihio gal that got saved out from the city so that she could get baptized with her own people. <clears throat> Rosa is her name. We put this, I, we do have a, fix, a picture of Rosa, and I didn't put it in this slide presentation, getting her, her getting baptized. But this gal was so joyful that we just wanted to put this photo in here. And I, I mentioned earlier, if you actually saw pictures, and you will see some pictures of photos of, of tribal people, not just Guadalajara, but tribal people who are unregenerate, who are not saved, you would be able to distinguish between those that are born again just by looking at their faces. Their countenance is so totally different. There is that kind of joy that is a God-given joy. And there is that despair that paints the faces of unsaved tribal people especially. I mentioned earlier that they're fearful of everything. They're fearful of certain types of bugs, any kind of illness, anything, because they don't have much recourse when they get really, really sick. And so that kind of joy is a God-given joy. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Guadalajara. To me, a Gentile. And God has brought that gospel into our lives, and he's taken that gospel from our lives out into at least some of the tribes of Mexico, and especially the Guadalajara. We felt called to the Guadalajara when we got to Mexico, when the works were presented and both of us raised our hands and said, we really, we really feel like, like we're being called to the Guadalajara. This is your part, right? No, this is my part? <laughs> Good for me. Move on to the next one. We have many other stories of the faithfulness of our Lord how he met our needs in so many ways. You can imagine that it's hard to stand up and in 20 or 30 minutes express what the Lord has done in 39 years. That's in our family. 
in our tribal works, in our work as leaders. Um, God has been an amazing God, consistently faithful. New Tribe's mission, Ethnos 360, has a retirement center in Florida. And they say that the consistent conversation that goes on among those retired missionaries, those elderly statesmen missionaries, is the faithfulness of God. Our God is faithful. Your lives, our lives, it doesn't matter. He states he's faithful and he cannot be otherwise and remain God. He cannot lie. Our God is faithful. You guys have been faithful. We thank you so very much for the part that you've played in our ministry. And uh, we just thank you for this opportunity just to share with you a little piece of, of our lives and to elevate our God. Lindy, come. Thinking of the praise and worship time we had this morning, the one song said, God is more than enough. God is amazing. Satisfy me in the morning, O Lord, with your unfailing love, so that I may sing and be joyful all the days of my life. And I think of the word satisfying, more than enough. Not just sufficient, but satisfying. And that's what he's been to us through these years. Just had to add that because God put it on my heart. We left, uh, we were here in 1978. We were in the training in Rochester, and they gave us a list of churches that we could attend, and we chose you. So good morning, church. And uh, thank you so much for your love and care over the many, many years that we've been together in this ministry. Uh, the pastor was Dean Nail. Pastor Dean and Mary Nail were here at that time. And I asked this morning... Uh, if anybody would, if was here, would remember this about him. He always had his messages beginning with a letter. Uh, some of you will remember this. Okay, I see a head going back there. Uh, an example. Uh, our God is precise, he is patient, and he's powerful. Those were the kind of messages he had, and then he'd fill in all behind those those words about God. But anyway, then Sally and Lou DeFazio. Sally was not Sally DeFazio then. She was Sally Walters. So this we go way back, okay? And uh, then Lou came a little later, and they've been a part of our lives. Sally, I want you to know, because I know you all know Sally loves missions, but I call her a missionary to the missionaries. Uh, she's the news reporter for West or Northgate here, and she also is a prayer warrior. And uh, we're just thankful for her. I just wanted to thank her today. And we thank you for loving us and helping us and supporting us and praying for us for 39 years in Mexico. Okay. <laughs> okay, next one. That's not mine. <laughs> oh, you quit early. Okay. Okay, there it is. <laughs> okay. Um so I was thinking about the tribes. Uh, we were asked to share about what it was like to be in the tribe. Well, we lived in a very remote location, and so do other missionaries. Uh, we send people to places like this today. So this isn't 39 years ago. This is recent. So it's hard to get there sometimes. Uh, this is a road that we travel to go to the Nahuatl people. And we were on our way to a dental clinic. And um, as you see, the road was gone. And so... Teresa and I walked, and the guys figured out how to get the truck up through there. But I said, I'm walking. And uh, so it's hard to get there sometimes. It's hard to live there. Don't You can keep it there. I'm sorry. Can you go back? Thank you. Um, it's, hard to, to, it's hard to stay there, some, to live there. Uh, I have to go to the creek here and wash the clothes by hand when I'm there visiting or doing a dental clinic. And then take them back up and hang them on the fence, which got, yeah, there it is. And that's how we do laundry out there. So if your machine breaks, you know, you can think of these missionaries. Um, Then, next picture. When you want to bathe, sometimes it's hard to live there. Uh, This place has very little water. The missionaries didn't have running water to their homes for years and years. And now they only have it. Not all the time, okay? So uh, this is how I had to wash my hair when I was there. And this is how we all washed our hair. And took a bath, too, actually. 
but the water is low and it's dirty. And one day John walked down there with me and I said to him, what is all the brown stuff floating around in the bottom of the little creek here? And he said, that's fish, you know, I don't want to say, I don't know what you call it, fish poop. <laughs> anyway, I said, oh, okay, a new treatment for my hair. And it's going to be stronger and healthier now. Um, so sometimes it's hard to stay there. And I was walking to the creek one day with Katie. She's our literacy expert out there, and she's a single lady. And we were carrying this heavy load of laundry between us. And she said, Linda, some days I just get so tired of carrying my laundry and washing it by hand. Well, fortunately, they've built relationships, and now they have tribal ladies that need money. So it's a way they can help them by paying them to do their laundry, and then she can do what she came there to do. So that's an awesome thing. Next picture. Okay, this, you might wonder why I'm so smiley about this toilet, but it is the best mountain toilet. Now, we have outhouses out there, too, but I prefer this particular style of toilet. And uh, you take a five-gallon bucket, you build a wooden stand around it, then you put a toilet seat on it, and then when you're on the way to the tribe, you stop at the local sawmill and you fill up your blue bucket with sawdust, and then every time you go to the bathroom, you sprinkle sawdust uh, over what you did. And then eventually it gets full, right? Because there's no flush. And so you dig a hole away from the people and you carry that bucket and dump it in that hole, you know? So that that's my favorite toilet. And the missionaries we were staying with at the time, he would come and get that bucket every evening himself. He wouldn't let me do it, but he would take it and he would throw it out for us, you know. And I just think, wow, God has given people so much grace to minister in these locations. Okay, teaching new skills. The This is a Nahuatl woman. And they love to work with their hands, and they love to create. They're very artistic, and they make all their own clothing on treadle machines or by hand. And so I sit in the clinic some days uh, to be with the people, and um, I do most of the cooking when I'm there for the clinics, but when I have time, I run, up, I run down to the clinic and, and sit with them, and I knit because they don't know about knitting. And so I would teach them how to knit. Now I still uh, provide some materials. One lady really loved it, so we get her some knitting materials every so often. Um, I have the great privilege of sitting in their in the missionaries' homes and talking and showing pictures of my family, stories about the Bible. I need a translator most of the time. The tribal lady, the missionaries, help me. But I get to talk and be with the people, and that's my favorite thing because it's all about people. And the little lady sitting on the stool, her name is Lencha. She's a believer. She's a mother of about 11 or 12 kids. She has grandchildren. Uh, she suffers for her her faith uh, as a Nahuatl-believing lady. She persevered and learned how to read. So now as they translate portions of Scripture, she can actually read them now. It takes her time to read it slow, but she can do that. And um, she's a wonderful lady. I love her. You go to her little ha- house, it's nothing really, and she'll say to me, do you want something to eat? You know, she'll offer me whatever she has. So that's little Lencha. This is Luce. She's a Guadalajara woman, very... Um, she, she became a believer through teaching the word at her home. I'd go every Sunday afternoon in the city when, when she moved in from the mountains. She wanted to be away from her husband, so she came into the city. And so her daughter and I would go out every Sunday and we'd teach her. This is learning how to read her language so that she could read scripture portions. Luce needs a lot of prayer. She uh, has a lot of struggles walking with God. She did make a profession of faith, but um, she... She just struggles a lot. So anyway, that's loose. These little fellows are eating corn soup. It's it's made out of hominy, which we have here, right? 
only they make it a little differently. And uh, it's all about people. These kids, you know, they're they're going to class now, being taught the word of God in their language, and uh, and that's why we're there, so they can know, right? Here's this old fellow. He's also Nawat. He he's a faithful guy guy in the village, but he um, he doesn't know the Lord. You can tell by his face, and uh, he needs Jesus. This is a Kora woman down in Nayarit. Uh, we have a missionary team there. Uh, they do a lot of bead work. They love beading, and she sews all her own clothes. But look at her face, folks. She doesn't know the Lord. Um, next slide, please. She's another Kora lady. We had an eyeglass clinic there. Uh, a doctor from Pennsylvania came down, and, and we did eyeglass clinic with these folks. And you can just see in their faces uh, just the despair. And they, these ladies don't know the Lord yet. But there is a team of missionaries. They're Mexican and Guatemalan that have been trained and, and are cross-cultural training. And they're there to reach these folks with Jesus. And so um, thank you for helping us be there to do this. Uh, it's been a great adventure. I wouldn't trade it for anything anything and the tears as we sat in my poncho muggy said we believe it was worth every ounce of work tears fear i struggled a lot with fear all of that to be able to know that there'll be these people with us in heaven someday won't that be wonderful and you'll They'll know you, maybe. Maybe they'll know who you are because you helped. Okay, I think that's all I have. I'd just like to close with, I'd just like to close with a song and uh, a prayer. <clears throat> and I gave up the other mic because this gives me something to hold on to. wrong if my life could tell a story if my heart would sing a song if I have a testimony if I have anything at all it would say this that no one ever cared for me Like Jesus, his faithful hand has held me all this way. Now that I'm old and gray and all my days are numbered on the earth, let it be known in him alone my joy was found. Let my children tell their children Let this be their memory That all my treasure was in heaven Lord, you were everything to me And no one ever cared for me Like Jesus His faithful hand has held me all this way Now that I'm old and gray And all my days are Numbered on the earth, let it be known, in him alone my joy was found. Well, our lives have told a story of the grace of God to tell. We want to tell you that we love you and we and encourage you as well. That no one ever cares for you like Jesus. His faithful hand will hold you all the way. And when you're old and gray and all your days are numbered on the earth, let it be known. Yes, let it be known. 
in him alone your joy was found.